Hi again. Welcome back to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian and I pastor that location. And it's good to talk to you again. If you're a follower of Jesus, then there is a tension that exists within the message of the Bible. It exists within the message of Jesus. And it exists within our own hearts and in our own lives that we have to manage. It's the tension between the grace of God and the truth of God's Word. Managing that tension is not easy. When do we offer people grace? When do we give them the truth of what God says and what His Word says? Learning to do that is not easy. But Jesus shows us exactly how we are to manage that tension. We talk about that today. And in this message, we reference a song. It's by an artist named Walker Hayes, and the song is called Craig. You may want to Google that song and listen to it so that you understand the application at the end. But I hope you enjoy this message, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Tensions in our lives that we all have to live with. Tensions that we all have to live with. And the challenge with living with tension is that sometimes we make the mistake of treating tensions not as tensions to be managed, but problems to be solved. Let me give you an example. One tension that many of us have to live with is how we balance our life at work with how we balance our life outside of work. That's a real tension for many of us to manage in our lives. And if you're not managing that currently in your life, maybe at some point in your life you felt like you had to manage this. It's something to be managed because work is good, It's a good thing to work and be successful, but time at home is also good. Time you're investing in friends and family and relationships and just time for yourself to relax and recharge is also good. If you treat that as a problem to be solved, you end up making a mistake. If you treat this as something where you say, okay, in order to be successful at work, I'm going to spend all my time there and that solves the problem of the tension of feeling like I have to spend time at home. Well, what you've created for yourself is a worse situation, not a better one, because you might be greatly successful at work, but you're going to lose the relationships that matter most. Or maybe you solve the problem by saying, I value my me time so much and my family time that I'm not going to work at all and I'm going to spend time all over here. Well, maybe you feel like you've solved the problem, but now you've created a challenging situation for yourself because work is good and being productive is good. It's like that with money as well. Money is a tension to be managed. You have a certain amount of money. How much do you spend? How much do you spend on yourself? How much do you spend on bills? How much do you give away? It's a tension to be managed, and it can change month to month. If you treat money as a problem to be solved, where you say, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to hoard it all for myself, and that way I don't have to worry about giving and doing anything else with it. I'll keep it all for myself. That creates a challenging situation. That's not a good place to be. And if you solve the problem by saying, I'm going to do whatever I want, and if I don't have enough, I'll borrow more, and I'll be able to live however I want, and I'll give away whatever I want, then you have maybe solved a problem, but you've created a challenging situation for yourself. There's these things in our lives that are tensions that we need to manage. They're not problems to be solved. This morning, for the next couple of minutes, we're going to talk about a tension that exists in church and a tension that exists as followers of Jesus. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, there's this tension that exists. And in fact, this is a tension that exists within Jesus Christ himself. 
And we're going to talk about what that tension is this morning, but we're also going to talk about the reality that many of us do not treat this like a tension to be managed at all. We treat it like a problem to be solved. And when we treat this like a problem to be solved and we try to make a definitive ruling on how we're going to handle this issue, we end up creating challenging situations, situations that are worse than the day-to-day management of the tension we're talking about this morning. If you were with us last week, we started a new series, a new walk through a book of the Bible called the Gospel of John. And John is one of those four books that talks about the life of Jesus, And last week, we asked the question, what does God look like? What does God look like? And we said that in John chapter 1, John says to us very clearly, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus, because Jesus is God, and he came down to dwell on this earth, to literally the Greek word that that John uses here is he came down to pitch his tent among us. And if you were here last week, you know Pastor Rick was here, but a tent was put up during the sermon. You'll remember that. And so that's the literal Greek phrase, that Jesus came and pitched his tent among us, resided among us, tabernacled among us. And this is God among us. And this idea that Jesus came down as fully God and fully man and dwelt among us is something of great importance. And I would suggest to you it's something that we as followers of Jesus, if that's you, should never, ever get tired of thinking about or talking about. Now, in John chapter 1, John also says something about Jesus that brings us to the tension that I'm talking about today. The tension that we need to manage within our lives as people who say we follow Jesus and and people who are in church world. And this is the tension that John brings up. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 14 through verse 17, we're going to read. John chapter 14, this is what he writes. And the word became flesh. Now, someone tell me, what does the word stand for? Who's the word? Jesus, that's right. I'm going to give you the easy one. The answer is Jesus, just like Sunday school. Who is the word? Someone tell me. Jesus is the word. That's right. That's who John's talking about. So in Jesus became flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, this is John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're following along in one of the Bibles that's either in the chairs below you or you brought your own, you may want to put your thumb in John chapter 8 because we're going to go there next. But before we move to John chapter 8, let's talk about this for a moment. John makes this statement that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ or come in Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? Well, if you remember back, you know, we've said this before, the Bible is really one giant story of God restoring and redeeming creation and his, and his people, God restoring the relationship between himself and people like us who have walked away from him. It's one giant story of that. And so God is revealing his character over time throughout the book, and he begins in what's called the Old Testament, revealing 
who he is and the standard that he calls people to live up to. And that is quite simply called the law. Now, even if you're not familiar that much with the Bible, maybe you remember that God gave a man named Moses 10 commandments. That's part of the law. In fact, a part of, those are the big, one, big 10 rules of the law. But then there were many other laws about how God's people are supposed to live and what they were to do and not do. And here's what the law revealed very quickly. The law that God gave thousands of years ago to his people The law that told them how to live, the Ten Commandments, and then all the other laws that went around them and underneath them, they revealed very quickly that there is no person on the face of the earth, either way back then or today, that can possibly live up to the standard that God has set in his law. That's what it revealed very quickly. In fact, a couple years ago, there was a book that I read that was written by a man named A.J. Jacobs. Now, A.J. Jacobs is not a Christian. He writes for magazines like GQ and Esquire, and he's Jewish, but he says that he's Jewish in the same way the Olive Garden is Italian. He's culturally Jewish, but he doesn't necessarily practice his faith. But he wanted to try and get more in touch with his roots. And so he wrote this book called The Year of Living Biblically. And what he said he was going to do is he was going to, he was going to for one year, keep all of the rules in the Old Testament. And he starts, he talks about in the book going through and categorizing all of the rules that are in the Old Testament and realizing very quickly that this was going to be impossible. And so he decided some of the rules, even though he was going to try to live the entire year biblically, he had to make the decision that some of the rules he would just try to keep for one day because he knew it would be totally impossible. I think my favorite moment of the book is when he gets to the day that he's not going to lie. And uh, he said, I'm just going to try one day not to lie because a year would be, of course, impossible. And so he gets out of bed that day and he comes downstairs and his three-year-old son, his toddler son, wants a bagel. And his son says, I want a bagel. And he says, well, son, we don't have any bagels, telling the truth. We have an English muffin. And the toddler, like toddlers do, at least this is what my toddlers have done, and I don't know, maybe yours are different, goes nuts and is throwing and screaming, and he wants a bagel. And his wife says to him, just tell him the English muffin is a bagel. That's what I did yesterday. And he ate the English muffin, and he was happy. But this is the no-lying day. And so he says to his son, son, listen to me. Stay with me. I don't have a bagel. I love you, but I don't have a bagel. I have an English muffin. Mom lied to you yesterday, told you this was a bagel. You ate it. Will you please eat the English muffin? And of course, no, the kid's screaming and crying and throwing a fit. And so, finally, with no other options, he looks at his son and says, son, this is a bagel. This is a bagel. Take it. And his son took it and ate it. But an hour and a half, 45 minutes into the no lying day, and already he had broken it. And at the end of the book, one of his conclusions after the year of living biblically is to live this out is impossible. And That's really the point of the law. That's one of the things that God reveals through the law is that there is no one who has ever walked the face of the earth that could live up to the standard that God has set. So John says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus comes, 
And as fully man and fully God, Jesus is able to do what no other man or woman is able to do. He is able to live out the law perfectly. In fact, he doesn't come and replace the law. He doesn't get rid of truth, John says. He doesn't come and say, you know that Old Testament law with all those rules that A.J. Jacobs couldn't follow? Just forget those things. They don't matter anymore. Jesus doesn't say that about the law. Jesus says, you know how the law revealed that none of you can live up to God's standard? I have good news for you. And Jesus brings grace into the situation. Now, the law had some rules for grace as well, but Jesus brings perfect grace into the situation. And God says, the law is true. God's law is true. But I have come to offer you mercy and grace and God's love in spite of the truth that you cannot live up to the standard that God sets. And that's the tension that exists within Jesus. The tension of grace, forgiveness, receiving what we do not deserve from God, his truth and his mercy, and the law, the reality that we are imperfect and we fall short. The tension of those two things are found in Jesus. And for the Christian, the one who says they follow Jesus, if that's you, that tension exists in life as well. How do you balance the reality that we are sinners in need of God's grace with the reality that we have been fully forgiven if we will receive Jesus and follow him? How do you balance grace and truth? Now, in church world, of which if you've been a part of church for a while, you you know that there's a church world pretty quickly. In church world, we have sometimes treated this as a problem to be solved and not a tension to be managed. And when we treat this as a problem to be solved, we create one of two situations, both of which are not the truth of the gospel and both of which do not live out the tension well. And the first way that we do this is we, we create the church that is for church people. You ever been to that church? I've been to the church for church people. Been a part of that church before. Church is the church for church people. Let me tell you how church people works. You walk into church for church people and everyone knows what they're supposed to do. Everyone knows exactly where they're supposed to sit. Everyone knows what they're supposed to say. Everyone knows what is allowed and what is not allowed. Usually in church, uh, people church, everyone kind of looks the same and thinks the same and has the same attitude on all sorts of things. Uh, church for church people also knows which sin is currently the worst one. That's something about church for church people. There's all sorts of sins in the Bible, but church people, they seem to know like which one is the worst for the time, like that day in age, which one is the worst. And sometimes they're not even the sins that are mentioned in the Bible. They're just what all the church people agree is a sin. But sins that are mentioned in the Bible, you know, it used to be divorce. That was, that was way up there for church people uh, at one point. But now church people, we moved on from that one a little bit. Uh, getting pregnant outside of marriage, that one was way up there for a while. And church people, they kind of all know which which one is the one that right now is the one that keeps you outside of the church and makes you leave. And the interesting thing about church for church people is a number of the sins that are listed in the New Testament that are given to the church, they never quite make the list. Sins like gossip and slander and greed, those ones really, I mean, they're mentioned a lot in the New Testament. Uh, They're mentioned a lot throughout the Bible, but those ones never really make the list for church for church people. Those ones are allowed to exist and those ones are fine, but everyone else knows which sin keeps people out of the door. Could be smoking, it could be drinking, it could be whatever it is, that's the one that keeps people out of the door and that's how church for church people works. It's nice and clean and tidy. That's the benefit is ever the, the, the structure is very clear. Everyone knows who's in and who's out. Here's the bad part about church for church people. The challenging part. 
everyone who goes to church for church people is a massive hypocrite. You can't go to church for church people without being a giant hypocrite because no one lives up to the standard. Everyone just knows how to play the game. Everyone knows how to put the right clothes on on Sunday morning and walk in and and act like nothing is wrong. Act like, and no one is possibly going to bring up that their marriage is terrible or their kids are rebelling or that they're, they're depressed or they're lonely or they're not sure how life is going to work out. No one would bring that up because they know they would not receive grace in return. And grace is, is gone from that equation. So it's nice and neat and tidy, and everyone's clear on the rules, but, but there's no forgiveness. There's, there's no you're okay even if you're not perfect. There's no God loves you even if you're struggling right now. And when we try to solve the problem by saying, okay, we're going to focus on truth because that keeps things nice and easy, we end up creating a situation that's not the gospel. It's not good news. We can also solve the problem by creating the all-grace church. And that is somehow how we solve this problem. We say, well, there, you know, the truth really doesn't, that truth about God and sin and everything doesn't matter. The reality is that God loves you no matter what. And wherever you are and whatever you're walking through and whatever you're doing, you are welcome here. I heard a pastor who, who pastors a type of church like this say to me, you know, when I walk into the hospital, there's a clergy closet. And the clergy closet has on the shelves everything the different clergy need in order to visit people in the hospital. So the Christian shelf has the Bible and a communion tray. The Jewish shelf has the Torah. The Islam shelf has the Quran. And my shelf just has a coffee maker because everybody's welcome. And no matter where you are and no matter who you are, we can have God loves you and that's okay. And the Grace Church is nice because it's very easy to go to, and you never have to change. But the challenging situation of the Grace Church is that you lose out on on the hope that truth provides. You lose out on the reality that we are not mistakers in need of correction. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We are not people who are off slightly that just need good life advice. We are people in need of a second birth. And when it's all grace and everything's fine and when you can come in however you want and, we, and God loves you no matter what, we miss on the reality that there is something to this truth piece that we don't live up to what God calls us to live to and we are sinners. We're not just people who make mistakes that just need some good guidance. We are sinners who need a savior. And when we take this tension It can be messy sometimes, difficult, hard to handle, and we try to solve it. One or two extremes. We end up with a situation that really isn't the good news of Jesus at all. So the question then is, what does it look like to live this out? What would it look like if we could actually live grace and truth out? Well, I think it looks like exactly what happens in John chapter 8. This is somewhat of a famous story. Maybe you've heard it before, even if you don't read the Bible much. But this is Jesus and how he encounters a situation, really an all-truth situation, and what he does in the middle. This is John chapter 8, verse 2. This is what happens. Early in the morning, he, that's Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, so what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So you can picture this situation, right? Jesus is sitting in the te- Jesus standing in the temple teaching. There's a great crowd around him, people who are following him. And these leaders of, of the law, the Pharisees, they come and they bring this woman. And everyone knows the rule. Everyone knows the truth rule. The Pharisees knows it, know it and Jesus know it. That someone caught in the act of adultery deserves to be stoned to death. That's what the law says. And so they bring this woman to Jesus and they say, we caught her in the act of adultery. The law says she should be stoned. What do you say? And they know that all of these Jewish people that are listening to Jesus, they know the law too. And if Jesus says, ah, don't follow the law, that they're going to walk away. And if Jesus says, you know what? You're right. Let's do this. That's going to be a problem too. So Jesus does this. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. In Jesus, there's no contradiction between grace and truth. We seem to think sometimes that, that if, we, if we somehow don't hold down the truth and dig our heels in and make sure that we stand for the truth and for what is right, that somehow if we offer people grace that, that we'll lose out on truth and truth will be gone. And the same over here is, is, is we think that if we, if, we, if we invite any sort of truth into the situation, that somehow truth is going to come and wipe out all of the grace. But in Jesus, there's no contradiction. In his response to the woman, he both upholds truth and offers her grace. Grace simply being giving her what she does not deserve. Jesus knows what the law is, and he doesn't disagree with the Pharisees. Jesus does not stand up and say to the Pharisees, actually, you've interpreted the law incorrectly. Let me tell you what the correct interpretation of the law is. Jesus doesn't get up and say, actually, that's not in the law. Let me tell you what the law is. Instead, Jesus infuses the situation with grace. And he says two comments to the woman, two parts of one statement, both which show grace and truth coming together. He said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. I offer you grace. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. The law says you deserve death for your sin. But I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to not condemn you in this moment. But go and change the way you're living. From now on, sin no more. Truth. The law is still good. 
how you're called to live is still good. But here's the difference. Jesus is not saying, go obey the law so that God loves you and shows you grace. Jesus is saying, in the, fact, in, the, in the moment you cannot obey the law, when you've already broken it, I'm offering you grace. Now out of that grace and mercy, go and live the way that God is calling you to live. And in Jesus, there, there isn't this contradiction of grace and truth that we often feel. Where we either want to control everyone through God's truth or we want to let people do whatever they want so that we make sure we uphold grace. Jesus doesn't offer us that. And so my question for you this morning is this. If you were to put yourself in the story that we just read in John chapter 8, who are you? Who are you in this story? If we were to put ourselves in the scenario and say, okay, what can we learn from this? Who am I in the story? Traditionally, the way I've heard this passage taught and the way I think most of us go and the way our minds work is we either say one of two things. We either say, well, you know who I, 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 I'm actually Jesus in this story. This is how I react. I love to find situations where people being oppressed and the world is against them unfairly. And I like to be the person, like Jesus, go into the situation and offer peace and hope and grace in the middle of that situation. And, and many of us would say, look at this story and say, that's me. That's the role I, I like to play. And, and I want to do more of that. And maybe I need to pay attention to truth a little bit more. But my, my default, my initial setting is to go in and offer grace. And some of us look at this story and we, we say, well, you know, really, I'm, I'm like the Pharisees a lot. I, I like the truth. I like things clear cut. I like things black and white. I like to know who's right and who's wrong. I like everything to be clear. And you know what? Maybe I need to be a little bit more gracious in my life too. When we draw that conclusion, I think we miss the reality that there's another character in the story. And we're actually much more like that character than we are Jesus or the Pharisees. In the story, you and I are the woman. Not so much Jesus, fully man and fully God, who does everything perfectly. Not so much like the Pharisees upholding Old Testament law. You and I are the woman. People who have broken God's law. People who have not lived up to the standard that God calls us to. People who by every letter of the law deserve condemnation and death because of the sin that we have committed. That's me. And that's you. But Jesus walks into that place, into your life, into my life, and does what we could not do he lives out the law perfectly. He dies on the cross, takes the punishment that we deserve, takes the death that we deserve. He takes it upon himself. He raises again, proving that he has power over life and death, providing a way to restore the relationship with God. And he comes in when everyone is surrounded, us with stones ready to kill us and offer us that judgment. And Jesus comes in and says, listen, if you'll follow me, you'll escape condemnation. If you follow me, I'll offer you mercy and grace. And if you'll receive it, then you go and live differently. 
I don't know if this woman became a great Christian leader or not. I don't know what she did with this. I don't know if she went off and, and, and joined Bible studies and if she led the women's retreat and, and gave her testimony around the world. I have no idea what she did with this, but I'll tell you what I do know. Jesus offered her grace and mercy well before she deserved it. And Jesus offers you grace and mercy well before you deserve it. We ought to be willing to do the same. You cannot offer what you have not received. The woman receives both the grace and truth of Jesus and is now in a place where she can offer it to others if she so chooses to live that out. And for us in church world today, for us who are Christians, for us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, you cannot give to someone else what you have not received. So here's my question for you this morning. Have you both received the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ into your life? See, some of us have received the truth that we're bad people and that we are sinners and that we are a long way away from being the people of God that we need to be. And we beat ourselves up over that. And some of you, some of us have left church because of this. Because the last thing we need is to come into church every single week and be reminded how terrible we are compared to all these great church people that sit in the seats every single week. And we've walked away from church because of this reality. We've received the truth about who we are. We know that we don't do things right. We know we don't live up to God's standard. But I want to say to you this morning that you need to receive the grace of God into your life. Who cares if people around you are condemning you? God offers you grace and mercy, and his love is not contingent on your ability to live up to his standard. His love is given to you freely through Jesus Christ, and you need to receive the grace of Jesus Christ into your life. But some of us, we get that God loves us. We love that. We, we got it, we've got it up everywhere. It's in our car. It's, it's, it's on the wall. We, we love singing the songs. We have worship music playing all the time. We get that God loves us. But we need to receive the truth of God into our lives. That if we're really going to take advantage of the grace of God, we need to go and live lives that reflect the grace and mercy that we've received. Some of us use the idea that God loves us no matter what to just continue to live however we want to live. But the truth of God would call us to something different. I don't know why we do this, go from one extreme to the other. I don't know why we, we, we cause ourselves, we can't live, it's so hard to live within the tension of walking into this room and walking into church and being broken, imperfect people who are still sinners in need of grace and to also be able to proclaim the truth at the same time that yes, we deserve judgment, but God offers us his mercy and so everything's not perfect and it's so hard to live in the middle of that tension. We'd much rather solve the problem. We listened to that song earlier, and it's a true story of a songwriter named, named Stephen Walker who's not a Christian, and I don't think he still is a Christian, walking into a church at his lowest point and having a guy named Craig meet him and not just smile and welcome him in even though everyone knew he shouldn't be there, but also when he heard his family was in distress when this musician lost his record label deal and had no money and they bank repossessed his car, Craig came down and gave him a minivan. It's grace and truth. I don't know what happens out of that. But I can tell you that for the songwriter, 
his perception of who Jesus Christ is and what church is and what the good news is is completely different than it was before. Because some guy named Craig was willing to live out both grace and truth at the same time. And there's a line in the song where the Craig character, who's a real guy, says to the songwriter, he says, he says, we're all going to be judged, but I'm not going to be judgmental. And that's such a great line of grace and truth. We're not, we're not saying God's not going to judge us for how we live. We're not saying we're not sinners in need of grace. We need that. We need a Savior. We need to change who we are by the power of God and the work of his Holy Spirit inside of us. And so we're all going to be judged, but... It's not our place. I'm not going to be judgmental. He'll love you and extend to you the love and grace of God no matter where you are or where you come from. Because that's what Jesus does for you. I think we don't do this because we want things to be fair in life, don't we? We love fairness, especially in the United States of America. We want things to be fair. We like it when things are fair and rules are followed and everyone knows what is fair and what's not. And so we try to make this grace and truth situation fair. If you live out the gospel, if you live out the good news and you offer grace and, grace and truth to people that don't deserve it and can't comprehend it, it is a messy situation. It's a messy situation. It means people come to church on Sunday mornings that don't have their lives all figured out yet or at least don't know how to play the church game yet. It means there's, there's cigarette butts on the front sidewalk of the church that have to be cleaned up every once in a while. It means that things aren't perfect, and sometimes people say and do things that don't necessarily fit in church. It is a messy situation when the gospel and the good news is really lived out and grace and truth actually come together. But we like things to be neat and clean and fair. So some of us stand over here and we say, this is nice and neat and clean and fair, Everybody's loved by God. Don't change anything. You're great the way that you are. That is clean and fair. And the only people I don't like are those people. Everyone else I love. And then some of us make it all fair and less messy by standing over here. And we say, listen, God is truth. And if you don't live up to this standard that we have set, you're not welcome here. And the only people, the only people we like are the people that are already here that live and think and look and act the way that we do. And we have decided they should. Both of those are way cleaner and easier. They're fair, but they're not the gospel. You can get rid of all the mess that grace and truth creates, but when you get rid of the mess, you get rid of the good news and you get rid of the gospel. What do you need to receive in your life this morning? The reality that God loves you even though you're not perfect because he does. The reality that you're the woman caught in adultery that deserves judgment, but God offers you grace, he does. Maybe you're good with the grace, but it's time to remember that God calls you to a standard. He'll give you the strength by his spirit to live it out. But maybe today's the day you need to receive the grace and then actually go and sin no more. Actually change the way you're living. Maybe today's the day that you, re you recognize that you are a sinner in need of grace, and so you receive the grace for the very first time. You can't give what you haven't received. And if you've received it, if you've received it, then go and give it. It's messy. It's not fair. 
You're going to do things for people that don't seem right. You're going to do things for people that they don't deserve. You're going to love them even though they don't love you back. It's grace and truth. It's the gospel lived out. God loved you when you didn't love him back. God offered you grace when you couldn't pay him back. God did things for you that make no sense other than the fact that he loves you. So we do it for others. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And as we do, I'd invite you just to bow your head and close your eyes. Think about this with me for a minute. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you would say, I'm walking into this place and the reality that I am a sinner, that I'm someone that does not live up to God's standard, that's something that's new to me, but it's hitting me in a way this morning that I've never had it hit me before. This morning is your opportunity to receive the grace of God, that even though we deserve judgment and an eternity apart from God, through Jesus Christ, he offers us something very different, a relationship with him through Jesus so maybe today would be the morning that you start that relationship, that you receive that grace. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and I don't even have to really get into it. You know the areas of your life where you are rejecting the truth of God. You know the areas of your life where you are not offering grace to others that you should offer. Would today be a morning that by the power of God's spirit, he empowers you to go and to live the way he's calling you to live, to leave your sin at the door this morning and go and live a changed life. May this be a morning where you receive the grace of God and know that no matter what all those church people told you when you were growing up and no matter what those church people told you when you made that big mistake and they all turned their backs on you, that God's love and grace and mercy is still for you. God, thank you for the grace and the mercy that you offer to us. In spite of the truth, the truth that we deserve to have our relationship with you broken, the truth that we are sinners in need of grace. The truth is that we walked away from you and could not live up to your law. But God, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. The truth that you have come and that your son offers a relationship with you. Would we all receive that grace and truth, embrace it, that we might be able to show it to others. Pray it in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T-Hope-Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.